When I was in high school, I got a job in a machine shop. It was a factory. Um, and it was called Patterson Pump. And I would leave high school every day and, and go, to, go to work there and work throughout the, the evening. I, I did a kind of a journeyman or apprenticeship there. And on my way in, when I first started working there, as soon as you kind of turned on, on the road that the, the shop was on, they were building this memorial. And it was a World War II memorial uh, for the 101st uh, Infantry Easy Company. These guys were paratroopers. If you've ever seen the movie Band of Brothers or the HBO series Band of Brothers, you'll know what this is about. The 101st Airborne really kind of go down in infamy uh, among... Uh, the heroes of World War II. And so as they, they were building this memorial, and the reason was uh, the former barracks w- was actually the shop that I worked in. And if you've ever seen the, the movie, the, we're on Curry Mountain, it's all kind of right there. So there's a lot of war history right in that area as they prepared for uh, the war. If you know much about them you, and you, you kind of think through World War II, um, the Battle of the Bulge, Operation Overlord, like these guys were the key component for the U.S. Uh, winning that war. What they did was in, incredibly brave. These guys are true heroes. After the memorial opened, I remember driving by and seeing a bunch of guys out there, old, old men at that time, wearing their their uniforms and with, with all of their stripes and all of their bars, you know, all, all of kind of their, their military garb. And then from time to time, I would see guys out there getting their picture taken with the memorial and looking for people's names of, of the people who had, they, had, they had lost in the war. I'm 17 years old. I'm just a young punk. I just drive by and I see them having no clue who they were what they did are the sacrifices they made. It was years later when I actually saw the HBO series that my mind was blown. I did not understand what those men had done. This past Sunday, Bradford Clark Freeman, the last of the 101st Easy Company, the last soldier died, ending the end of what we would call the greatest generation in World War II heroes. Uh, the greatest generation is the, the generation uh, that, that fought World War II. They were born in the 1900s up into the 1920s. And at this point, they are all gone. And we've grown up looking back on them and seeing them as heroes, and then we look back and we we see the baby boomers, and, and we don't necessarily look at them as heroes. Uh, we look at the Gen Xers, and we just know that they're mad about not being the heroes. We look at the millennials, and we go, all right, they're a bunch of zeros. <laughs> and we redeem that by looking at the Gen Zs and going, but we're not them. <laughs> the changing of Gen... I, I joke, I kid, I love all the generations. They just don't make them like they used to. And that's what old people say. That's what old people say. They don't make them like they used to. Um, anyway, I'm there. I'm that point in life where I'm like, I'm mad all the time. They don't make them like they used to. Kids are soft. Get to work. Um, more than an hour. Anyway, 
I won't digress. The changing of generations is, is, a, is a passing of the baton, and it's often um, something that the generation that happens to, they're, they're oblivious to it. Just like me, driving by as a 17-year-old, seeing what these heroes had done, not, reali- not realizing any of it. As we're going to see, actually, in the book of Joshua, we're going to see a really great generation die, and we're going to see a not-so-generation, a good generation come forth. If you, you think there's, in, in recent history of, of this, this moment in Judges, you've got the generation that was the Joshua generation, the generation that went into the promised land and conquered it. But if you go back a generation before them, what do you have? You have the Israelites scared to cross over the Jordan, scared to go conquer the land. There were only two, actually, from that generation that made it in, right? It was Joshua and Caleb were the only two that, that lived and were allowed and, and to lead to go over. And so what we're going to see today is the death of a generation. I'm going to read first uh, just a, a piece of two. And the, the writer of, of the book of Judges, he, he kind of... Um, starts, and then he recaps in the beginning of chapter 2, a little bit from 24. So you could actually read this story in chapter 24 uh, of Joshua, or you can read it in Judges. Be sure to go ahead and turn there in in your Bibles. We have a lot of the text today up on the screen, but not all of the text. So if you would, go ahead and turn there. So this is Joshua chapter 2, starting in verse 6. When Joshua dismissed the people, the people of Israel went to each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. All the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of inheritance in timnath Harris, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of the mountain of Gosh, and all that the generation also were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, and here comes the sad part, who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. As we start into the book of Judges today, here is the big truth that I want us to walk away with. When we're done with, with Joshua, as we go home and we we go to our next thing. I want us to remember this. Jesus is the only leader worthy of our trust and obedience. Jesus is the only leader worthy. You can trust Jesus. And because you can trust Jesus, you ought to obey Jesus. Joshua was actually a pretty excellent leader. If you look at the Bible... And you open it up and you start looking at the different leaders in the Bible. Joshua is actually pretty top-notch. He was, he was a brave soul. For the most part, he followed the Lord. There was a, a few moments here and there, but there's no, there's no big scandal. His life isn't, um, isn't just enshrined in, in things that he did wrong. It was mostly things that he did right. I mean, he, he was bold. He followed the Lord. He led Israel well. But what was the problem? He was a mere mortal man. And he died. 
Israel followed this leader. They followed him all the days of his life. He, as a leader, he kept Israel following the Lord. But when he died, it shows you that they stopped. That means that people are following a man and not following God. This is, this is what I would say when, when there, there's a man, that a pastor or a preacher that someone is following, and that man has some sort of moral failure or dies, and the person stops following Jesus. That The evidence is that they weren't following Jesus, that they were following the man. That, that's, the, that's the evidence. And so, uh, here's the truth about Jesus. Jesus died. He was crucified. He was buried and he was put in the grave. The truth was, his disciples were going to stop following, weren't they? They went and hid. They, they, they ran. Their days of following Jesus were done. But on the third day, he rose from the dead, proving that he is God. Jesus is, is God and Jesus is worthy because he is God. He's worthy to follow. You can Trust Jesus. He's, he's worthy of our trust and our obedience. That's what I want us to walk away with today. Verse 1, chapter 1. After the death of Joshua, the people of Israel inquired of the Lord, Who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against them? The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I've given the land into his hand. And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I, likewise, will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with him. Then Judah went up, and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand, and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek, which means the Lord of Bezek, at Bezek, and they fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and caught him, and they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. And Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off used to pick up scraps under my table, as I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. Here's my first big idea that I want us to, to get today, and it is this. That when God speaks clearly, obey courageously. When God speaks clearly, obey courageously. Now we read this passage, and it seems like God spoke and they obeyed. But when we look at the details of this passage, what you're going to see is that they didn't fully obey. They weren't courageous in their obedience. They, they did the right thing. I've got to give them credit because they're going to stop doing this. After Joshua died, they inquired of the Lord. They at least asked the Lord, what ought we do? What, what, what should we do, do here? How do we inquire? We inquire of the Lord, what should we do? The Lord gives them a clear answer. Judah shall go up. Behold, I've given you the land into his hand. And so God shows you, uh, here in this text we see, God has ordained that Judah be the one that go up and fight. We went through the book of Joshua as a church earlier this year. And I'd be curious 
to, to see if anybody remembers the name of that sermon series, or at least part of the name of that sermon series. Anybody? Taylor designed, the, Taylor designed the logo, so Taylor, I think it's cheating if you say it. Oh, yep. Yeah, that's it. You got it. You got it. You got the pieces. There's one more, and it's this. God with us, God before us, God in us. It's what we see in the book of Joshua. It's, it's, it's what's laid out, that God was with the Israelites. When he sent them into uh, the promised land, he said, I'm going to be with you. Man, it's kind of a lot, a lot like the Great Commission. Lo, I'm with you always at the very end of the day. Like, I'm going to be with you when you go. Not only am I going to be with you, I'm going to go before you. I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to go do this thing. All you have to do is obey. And so God's with us. God's before us. But then here's the twist. As New Testament Christians, as people who have followed Christ, it is God is in you. God is in us. He says, lo, I'm with you always. The Holy Spirit dwells inside of the believer. So that was the good news. And so the same God in the book of Joshua is the God in the book of Judges. And this is still the same conquest. And the Lord is still able to move and do crazy cool things. If you think about those battles and the things that he did in order for them to win them. Remember, just start off the book when they marched around Jericho seven times and the Lord knocked the walls down. The Lord did that. It wasn't, it wasn't anything that they did. It was, a, it was a display of God's power and his primacy. And so all the way through the book of Joshua, this is what we see. And when he calls Judah and says, Judah, you are to go up, obedience would look like Judah going up, but Judah, rather, is pragmatic. He comes up with a war plan, the war plan of man. By the way, we see them mess up and do this. Um, the Gibeonites and Ai in, in, in the book of Joshua. But here they have a plan. Judah said to Simeon and his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And likewise, we'll go with you into your territory allotted to you. So they did it together. And it appears, you'll see then, that there is some success. Pragmatism is really kind of what slipped in. It was like, hey, this sounds like a good war strategy. Uh, they kind of scare us, intimidate us. If we double our number, we'll go whoop them together, and then we'll go whoop yours together. Seemed like a great plan, but what you see is this was a very slippery slope. Here's what I would tell you. Is that... That where God speaks clearly, we ought to obey courageously. We can trust what it is that the Lord says and the Lord has commanded and told us. We can trust it, we can obey it, and we will know it will work. It's God who prescribed it. It's where, uh, you know, we've said as a church, hey, we want to be pragmatic within our convictions. Where the Bible doesn't, doesn't speak, yeah, we want to do the easiest thing. We don't want to do the hardest thing. Like, we want to do the thing that makes the most sense. We don't want to be stupid. Hey, let's just be stupid for stupid's sake. No, but we want to be biblical for the Bible's sake, for God's sake. right? Where, where, where God speaks, we're going to, to, to listen. Where God speaks clearly, we want to obey courageously. Let me tell you how to hear God clearly. I know a lot of people would just love to hear God speak to them 
audibly and clearly. So that you ask the Lord, what, what should I do? And, and you want a clear Lord, word from the Lord, this is how I do it. Here's, here's how you do it. You go in your closet. You turn off the light. And you get down on your hands and knees and you pray. And you, and you, you pray and you confess your sin. You say all this stuff. You, know, you just pray to, pray to God. And then you turn on the light and you open the Bible and you read it out loud. Because when you read the Bible out loud, you can hear God speak audibly. Because this is his written word. This is as clear as it gets. When he speaks in scripture, we can obey it. We can know that it's clear. We can courageously uh, obey God's word. We ought to, to speak to it. The world um, tells us that we ought not obey it. We, we read last week in James chapter, chapter 1 that religion that is pure and undefiled is to take care of the widow and orphan in their affliction. And the last part of that was the hardest part of that, remember? And to keep oneself unstained from the world. The world stains us. The world wants to make things gray that aren't gray. Where the Bible says, thus says the Lord. This is how it ought to be. The world says, but did he really say? Isn't that Satan's oldest trick, right? We go back to the book of Genesis. And, and Satan's, Satan's one clear call in Genesis and the fall was, but did he really say? And you can watch it go out through the Bible. And today, when topics come up and things, in, things that culture hate, we can talk about homosexuality or whatever different thing it is. Did he really say? No. Where the Bible speaks clearly, we ought to obey courageously. Verses 8 through 18, you, you kind of see the Lord's faithfulness and you see um, Caleb's children and their, in some of their inheritance. And, and we'll read about just a little bit of that in a second. You kind of see things start to unfold. I'm going to pick up in verse 19, verse one, uh, chapter 1 still. And the Lord was with Judah. This is a scary verse. The Lord was with Judah and he took possession of the hill country. But he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. And so you see that the Lord is with Judah, and they took possession of the hill country, but because of their sin, because of their lack of courageous obedience, what we see is this trickle effect start to happen. And Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had said, and he drove out from it three sons of Enoch. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem till this day. And so here's the next thing I would show you is that disobedience leads to disaster. Disobedience leads to disaster. Even when we think we're obeying, we're partially obeying, we're one foot in, one foot out, it all leads to disaster. We think we're doing what is wise, when in fact, often we are doing what is foolish. And we think we're being wise and we're being foolish, and it ends up in a disaster. I would tell you this. That as a Christian, we want to live a life where God goes before us, where God fights for us. But more often than not, we're guilty of going before the Lord 
We're guilty of putting the cart before the horse. We're, we're, we're guilty of, of putting our agenda and our thing into it and pushing rather than patiently waiting on the Lord and trusting in the Lord. Verse 22, the house of Joseph also went up against Bethel and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. The name of that city was formerly Luz. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Please show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way into the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let, they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city and called its name Luz. That is its name to this day. So check this out. So here's the next example of the, the not obeying courageously. They go into the city. There's a spy. They, they, they kind of get found out by the spies. The spy goes, deal kindly with me. Does that sound familiar? Rahab, right? They've got Rahab and Jericho, right? And, and, but they took Rahab and they brought her into the fold of God. Him, they just sent back out, and he just goes and he rebuilds the same thing. Verse 27. Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bashan and its villages. Skip down to the bottom of that. For the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. When Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely, as they were instructed to do. Verse 29, Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites. Verse 30, Zebulun did not drive out the inhabitants of Katron or the inhabitants of Nahal. Right? So, again, the Canaanites lived among them but became subject to forced labor. Asher didn't drive out the in, in, inhabitants. So the Asherites lived uh, among the Canaanites and they all lived there together. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants. So over and over and over we see that this slope has become slippery. That, that one act of disobedience is going to lead to disaster. This is a snowball effect. One, one act of disobedience now has snowballed. Skip down to chapter 2 verse 1. Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bacham and said, I brought you up from Egypt. And I brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. What is this that you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you. But they shall become thorns in your side. And their God shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. And they called the name of that place Bacham, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. This idea that they would become a thorns in their sides, and their God shall be a snare to you, would come, would come to fruition. This is what would, would happen. We've already covered verses 6 through 10. That was kind of the opening. Now look, look at verse 11. And the people of Israel 
did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. That's the foreign gods that will become a snare. And they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods from among the gods of the peoples who were around them and bowed down to them. And they provoked the Lord to anger. They abandoned the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them over to plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of their surrounding enemies so that they could no longer withstand their enemies. And whenever they marched out, the hand of the Lord was against them for, for harm as the Lord had warned and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were in terrible distress. Go ahead and in your Bible, flip over to the, the very last verse in the book of Judges. Chapter 21, right before First and Second Samuel. This is what you're going to see. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. This, this, the book of Judges kind of shows us this, this period that is before uh, the, the coming of the first king, Saul. You see, Israel, Israel's leader was God. That was, that was, their, that was their leader. That, is who they were, that, that was who they were to follow. They had no earthly king. The Lord gave them leaders in Moses and leaders in Joshua, but this is the period that's going to show us what went from God being their leader to a period where a king went to being their leader, where they were, again, this is why I point out that Jesus is the only one worthy of our trust and our obedience. Here's the big idea that I want to show you. What is evil in the eyes of God is often right in the eyes of man. When you read that first verse, and the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the false gods, the Baals. This is what we're going to see in the book of Judges. As we read Judges, we're going to see people doing what is right uh, in their own eyes. Doing what is evil in the eyes of the Lord. And man, we, we know this, right? We, we think of verses like Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Well, the Lord can understand it. The, the Lord search, searches the, the heart and tests the mind. To give every man according to his ways, according to the, the fruit of his deeds. The, the, the Lord does that. But we know our hearts are deceptive. We know that when we can choose um, good and evil, so often we choose evil. We know, so often say one thing and go and do another. Uh, we know the right thing to do, and so often we don't do it. You know what the Bible calls that? That's the very definition of sin. The very definition of sin is knowing the right thing to do and not doing it. We commit sins both of commission and omission. There are times that we commit the sins, and there are times that we omit from doing the right thing. We do what is right in our own eyes. But yet God, being just and right and good, knows what is right and wrong, and we do what's evil in his sight. On Friday, 
I, I drove up Shields by campus, and I, I, pla- I, I passed Planned Parenthood. And most Fridays, I drive past Planned Parenthood because there's a restaurant that I eat at on Fridays with my beautiful bride That's you've got to go that way to get to. And um, most Fridays, I drive by, and there, there are pro-life kind of protesters out there with signs, and, and you know, they're different number, and honk, honk if you're, you know, these things. And then sometimes there are counter-protesters that are, that are out there, and they've got sons, and there's, there's both. And since the Dobbs decision um, ha- has happened, that's kinda, that game has kind of changed a little bit that they're play it, playing up there. And we drove by on Friday, and I look over, and I see a totally different scene. I see this, this young girl, probably early 20s, and she's small. She's like, you know, this tall, just like normal 20-size small girl, and uh, assuming she, she looked like she was, the sign she was holding her head down by her side, I think it was a, a pro-life sign. I, I don't 100% know how this went down. But beside her were eight cops towering above her, and they had, it seems like they were taking down an incident report, it seems like one was consoling her. I'm not 100% sure what went on. But in my mind, I kind of played it out. My mind, I kind of played out. Okay, what, what, what just happened right there? Since the Dobbs decision, we know that there have been people who have, you know, burnt down abortion clinics, who have vandalized. Uh, not, I'm sorry, not abortion clinics, but um, emergency pregnancy centers, pregnancy centers. We know that churches have been vandalized. Uh, people's lives have been threatened. Right, the Supreme Court justices' lives have been threatened. And here's what I want to show you is that let, let's just say let's just say for an instance that girl up there that that what happened to her was what I would probably assume and that she was confronted heavily by somebody on the other side that that person was doing what was right in their own eyes they they, they weren't thinking I'm going to do what's wrong. That convictionally, that that kind of thing, that there's a conviction in their heart that says, no, what she is doing is wrong, and we need to protect the woman's right to choose. And so what's right in your own eyes is when you take something and then you justify another action and go, okay, it's okay to destroy property or to threaten someone's life for a greater good. That person is doing what is right in their own eyes. No matter the cause, when, when we, we can't justify our, our actions on our own, we must use God's word. We, we can't go, okay, doing this horrible thing is right. I mean, that's, that's when we start talking about morality. We kind of draw lines in, in the sand when we try to say, okay, um, this thing or this thing, this is right and this is wrong. Who gets to determine that? Who gets to determine what's right and wrong? So often we, 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 we just kind of make it up. Make up what sounds good, what's good in our own eyes. This is what happens in the book of Judges. This is literally the world we're living in. You want to decide whether you're a boy or a girl? Good for you. Make your decision. You want to decide when life begins and when life should ends? Good for you. Make your decision. You want to, you want to decide whatever the decision is. It's okay for me to do this sexual sin, but it's not okay for you to do that sexual sin. No. 
There's, there's like, the Lord has clearly spoken about a number of things. I'm not saying that the Lord has spoken clearly on everything. That's why we have Christian ethics. There are things that, there are things that may, may be at times somewhat great, but, but that aren't the things, those aren't the things that we're struggling with in our culture. Right? We've got things that are clearly defined. And for the Christian, where God clearly speaks, we ought to courageously obey. We need to be warned that disobedience leads to disaster. And we ought to be warned not to do what is right in our own eyes, but what is right in the eyes of God. To do anything else leads to destruction. We often look at the world and we think we want justice. Well, I have news for you. God is just. He is a just God. If you take and you just flip back over one page. The book of Joshua. We read... Brandon read the beginning of verses 16 and, and 17 uh, for our scripture reading, 18. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. I mean, he, he gives us this, this charge. This is an incredible passage in Joshua that far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. Look at verse 19. But Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. People said to Joshua, no, but we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said to the people, you are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen the Lord to serve him. And they said, we are witnesses. He said, then put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord God of Israel. The people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. So Joshua made a covenant with his people that day and put them in place statutes and rules for them at Shechem. This is what we see. God is, is just. He, he told them. Joshua told them. They made a command. They said, we don't want to break these things. We, we want to serve you. When we preached this passage. When we walked through this passage uh, earlier this year. We read it and we said, okay, they're saying this. But we can like read ahead to the book of Judges to know what happens. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of those who plundered them. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. They soon turned aside from the way in which their fathers had walked, who had obeyed the commandments of the Lord, and they did not do so. And so God is, is just. And the, the actions that they were warned about, are the things that they did. And they had an agreement here that they would not do this, and yet they did it. 
We, we read that passage, and, and we, we like read the Old Testament, and we read the passage where Adnabazek gets his, gets his thumbs cut off and his toes, his toes cut off. And we're like, that's weird and mean and cruel. Yes, that is weird and mean and cruel. Um, if you notice that my 10-year-old is walking around with a cast on and a, and a, and a broken thumb, um, I promise you that was not some sort of discipline after reading this passage. I wasn't like, I'm going to break his thumb. Uh, kid messes up, I'm going to cut off his thumb. I do think uh, maybe we would be better without thumbs, so we'd be off our phones, me included. I should cut my thumbs off. Um, but it was weird. Why did, why did that happen? Why was that some sort of weird justice? It says... Because 70 other kings, he captured them and he cut off their big toes and their thumbs so they'd have to crawl around on the floor and eat scraps. And so, for whatever reason, this is why the Israelites, after they captured, captured this king, this is what they did to him. This is, this is where we get in trouble with the Old Testament. One, we look and we, can, we need to read, be able to read a passage and go, okay, God is just. Nothing he does uh, throughout the Bible we'll see is, is wrong. It is all right. It is good. It is just. Consequences received are consequences earned. When we ask the, the question, why do good things, um, bad things happen to good people, the answer always ought to be, there are no good people. Right? We, now, and that's not saying everything, everything is, is, is no and everything is just. We want justice. We're a people that, that cry for justice. If something is done to somebody else, something is done to us, rather, and somebody does it to us, we want, them, we want justice. We want justice to be served. Some of the older students that I had when I first uh, was in student ministry made, made fun of me, and they, gave, they just started calling me justice. One day, I was leaving my neighborhood, and I was driving, and I was being a nosy neighbor. Um, and there was this news reporter at the apartment complex. And she stops me. Because I'm just being a nosy neighbor looking out the window. She stops me in my truck. I'm sitting there in my truck. And she goes, the man who lives in this apartment right here has uh, murdered somebody in Lexington. And he fleed. And the police just captured, captured him from here. What, what would you like to happen to him? It's a weird question, right? And so I just went, justice. What else would I say? I said, justice. Well, that ended up on the news. <laughs> Just me. Concerned, concerned neighbor. Justice. And so those kids made memes out of it. They clipped the, they, they took the video. Like it was, Zach's all about justice. Um, we want justice for somebody else. But when something happens to us, do we want justice? When, something ha- when we do something, are we like, Lord, give us justice. Lord, we want your justice. Rain down your justice on us. No. Here's the next thing I would show you. That God is merciful and patient. He is a just God. But he is also a merciful God. And he is a patient God. When we read right there in verse 16, Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands who plundered them. The very thing that, that they did. I mean, he, he told them in, in the end of Joshua, we see that they, they're going to raise up. They're going to be a thorn in your face. They're going to plunder you. If you do these things, they're going to plunder you. They go and do them. And what does he do but yet shows mercy and raises up these judges? 
who would save them out of the hands. But did you hear it? Verse 17, yet they, they did not listen to their judges, for they whored after other gods and bowed down to them. This is the cycle of Israel. This is the cycle of the, the group of people whose name literally means struggles with God, that, that God would be merciful and gracious to them, and they would wind back up in the same thing, only to need more mercy. God is patient. If you or I had the power and those people were under our watch, we would just go ahead and hit the button and wipe them off the face of the planet. That's what we would do. We would lose patience and we would say, no, I told you over and over and over, that's it, you're done. But God did not do that. He's merciful and he's patient. And this begins and continues the story that we're going to see in the book of Judges, but also in the rest of the Old Testament. That God would raise up judges, men, kings as acts of mercy and sometimes acts of justice. Sometimes acts of wrath. But in the long view, in the long picture, we will see that God is merciful and that he's patient. But he is more than merciful and patient. He is also gracious. Mercy is not receiving the punishment that you deserve. But grace is something totally different. Grace is receiving a gift that you did not earn. This is a very stupid example. One day this week, Brandon and I were in the lodge, and we hear, we hear a noise, and I think it's the, the interns coming in, and I, that I don't hear them. And I look back up, and a dude runs out of the church. And I'm like, what was that? And so I follow the dude, the dude out, and I like, catch him at the door, and he takes off running. And so I'm like, he stole something, right? And so what do I do? I run him down. I run him down, he starts throwing stuff out of his backpack. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm like, whoa, calm down, man, calm down. Don't call the cops, don't call the cops. I ain't calling the cops, man, calm down, calm down. What'd you take? Right out there at our, our, our kids' check-in, is there's, there's clipboards with paper. And man, he had stolen a clipboard. Like, why? Because he's high on meth. I mean, that's, that's really what he said. I'm sorry, I'm high on meth. And, and I, you know what I did? Do you think I called the cops? You think I just took the clipboard back? No, I gave him the clipboard. I sent Brandon back inside. I was like, man, this only got one piece of paper. You, know, you need more than one piece of paper? And Brandon, get him a pen. So he got a pen and paper, and I gave it to him, right? That's grace. That's, that's, a, that's a, little, a little drop of grace. That's, that's not, we, we trespass against the Lord. He just gives us a clipboard. He just let us off the hook. He, he, pour, he pours out his love and his kindness on us. That, that while we were sinners, he didn't just... Just pour out and give us, give us some things. He sent his son to pay the price for our sin. He took the punishment that we deserved. The wrath that we deserved. He sent Jesus to soak it all up. To take it all in. To take it off of us. And he gave us his love. That is grace. God is merciful and he is patient and he is gracious in this. That while we were still sinners, while we deserved judgment, while we deserved what these, the Israelites did in the book of Judges. We're going to go through this book of Judges and we're going to see it gets crazy. There are things in here where we're like, man, that is pure depravity. 
And when you, when you feel that, you should just walk outside and look around. You should just turn on the news and see that we live in chaos. We live in a time that needs justice, that we need judges. But Jesus is better, that God has done it. God has given us the ultimate, uh, the, the ultimate means of mercy and grace, and he did it in his son, Jesus. Today, if you're here and you've never repented of your sins, you've never trusted and obeyed Jesus, I would tell you this, Jesus is the only one worthy of your worship. It's not Allah. It's not Buddha. It's not a crystal. It's not a, not a rock. It's not a state of mind. It's not a state of being. It's not an astropole. It's not a Baal. It's not a false idol. It's nothing that you can buy and put in your house. It's not a way of life. It's not money. It's not morals. It's not a, it's not a religious man. It's not a priest. It's not a pastor. It's Jesus. He's the only one worth trusting and obeying. So today, Jesus said, if you would come after me, you would deny your cross and you would take it up and follow me. The one who would gain his life would lose it. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And the life I once lived in the flesh, now I live by faith in the Son of God. It, it, today's an invitation. Uh, in, in the middle of, 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 of depravity, in the middle of, of a world of chaos, to place your, your faith and trust in Christ, the steady anchor, the only one worth having hope in. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God was raised from the dead, you will be saved. So today, when we, in this song of worship, cry out, pray in confession and tell the Lord, Lord, I'm believing in you, I'm following you. After you follow the Lord, the first step of obedience is baptism. Baptism doesn't save you. It's merely an outward expression of an inward confession. It's, it's you saying to the world, I'm following Christ. So if that's you today, place your faith and trust in Christ. For every other person in the room who's, who's a believer, this is my instruction for believers today. So don't get caught up following man. Don't get up caught following the world. Just keep following Jesus. Where he speaks clearly, obey courageously. Father, we love you and we praise you. We thank you for your word. I pray that you'd use it in our lives that our hearts would be changed, that we wouldn't just merely hear it and, and go about and go have lunch and move about our day with our tasks, Lord, but we would sit here in this moment and we would dwell and we would think of who you are and we would live out our faith. That we wouldn't see church as a um, thing that we go to once a week, but a body that we belong to, a body that we live out our lives with as Christians following you. Father, we ask you to move and work in our community. That you would seek and save the lost. That in, that in a world of, of, of chaos, in a world of corruption, Lord, that our church would be a light in a dark world. As we read last week, Lord, that we would not be stained by the world, but we would keep our, ourselves unstained. God, that we would walk humbly, that we would proclaim uh, the good news of the gospel, that we would make disciples that serve and that this community 
Fort Collins and the campus of CSU would be transformed by the power of your gospel for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing a song of response.